You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. So I'm honored to be speaking to you today. As you've heard, and or you probably know, I'm a board-certified emergency physician, a Stanford University Law School graduate, and I'm the founder of America's Frontline Doctors. <laughs> A few months ago, two very bizarre things happened to me. My governor informed me I could be sanctioned if I prescribed an ordinary, cheap, safe FDA medication, and my hospital threatened to fire me if I contradicted the World Health Organization. There has been massive disinformation since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, starting with its name. Everyone recalls that the name was initially the Wuhan virus. That is because epidemics have historically been named for the location from where they arise or where they're associated. Consider Rocky Mounted Spotted Fever, Spanish Flu, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, Lyme Disease, Zika, Ebola, as some examples. The rebranding of COVID-19 took significant media effort and signaled a massive disinformation campaign was coming. The Chinese Communist Party made it known they did not want this to be called the Wuhan virus, and thus it was just called the coronavirus. Remember that? That was about a month. But this proved very confusing to doctors. We already knew of six other prior coronaviruses. So it had to be renamed a third time, this time COVID-19, which stands for Coronavirus Disease 2019. Following its rebranding as COVID-19, the disinformation regarding the pandemic continued in many other areas. Most notable was selling the lie to the American and European people that hydroxychloroquine is an unsafe medication. This incredibly safe medication, which halts SARS-CoV-2, the virus which causes COVID-19, was rebranded as unsafe in 2020. This disinformation campaign largely succeeded until America's frontline doctors successfully challenged the narrative that hydroxychloroquine was unsafe. In response to our efforts, many states were forced to normalize their rules regarding hydroxychloroquine. We have also made it possible for any person to obtain hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin or any other of the drugs that can be used for COVID-19 by consulting with a telemedicine physician on our website. I, I want to tell you that I really appreciate that applause because I took this as my mission because I thought, what is the practical thing we can do first to help human beings and second to stop the fear? Well, how much less fear would people have if they knew there's a bottle in the medicine cabinet that they could turn to if they needed it? Across, across the world, hydroxychloroquine is over-the-counter. You can buy it in Indonesia. You can buy it in South America. You can buy it in Africa. You just can't buy it in, let's say, Minnesota or San Diego. So I, we came forward to speak about the fact that there was early treatment that worked, and I'm here today for a similar reason. I did not think it was bold to stand before the American people before, at, at the steps of the Supreme Court to say that a drug that has been used hundreds of billions of times for, by everyone, from newborns to the very elderly, for decades, all over the world, was safe. I did not think that was a bold statement. Likewise, I do not think it is bold to stand before the American people and declare that an investigational agent that did not exist six months ago, the experimental vaccines, should not yet be considered safe. I think this is self-evident. It is, it is impossible to say that a drug with an extensively tested safety record for 65 years is unsafe, and also say a brand new medication for six months is not is safe. <laughs> This is massive disinformation, and to understand just how important a tool scientific disinformation is in causing a particular political result, I have to reference Nazism. And I do this not to be sensationalist, but to demonstrate what happens when human beings put excessive faith in scientists. Human freedom is in even more jeopardy than 1940, in my opinion, because evildoers' most enduring weapon is propaganda. And unlike 1940, today propaganda has swept the entire globe. Now, it is very underappreciated that the Nazis relied heavily upon science. 
the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute for Human Genetics and Eugenics supplied the Nazis with scientific support for sterilization, racial hygiene, brain biopsies of marginalized persons, those with epilepsy or learning disability or retardation were marginalized, and a brain biopsy is otherwise known as murder, horrific twin studies, and the Nuremberg Law, which proved scientifically that there is a Jewish race. Using doctors, geneticists, psychiatrists, and anthropologists, the Nazis sterilized, annihilated, and euthanized millions in the name of public health and for the greater good. Now, it so happens that the director of KWI was widely considered not to be political, not to be anti-Semitic. He was typically described as simply being enthusiastic about science, and in fact, he himself was a Nobel Prize-winning scientist. After the war, he defended himself by saying that the science was apolitical, and therefore the Nazi science must not have been real science, but it was pseudoscience. Conveniently, today scientists say, yes, true, that must have been pseudoscience, unlike today's truthful science. But is that true? At the time of the Nazi science, Mengele corresponded with KWI in the very precise language of medicine. The publications themselves used scientific methodologies and speech. And even 40 years later, it was said that the scientific value of these experiments was not tainted by being carried out on murder victims. In other words, it looked, sounded, and acted like real science to all the people involved. It is revisionist history to later call it pseudoscience. Now, this hyper-reliance on scientists, even those considered apolitical, is happening today during COVID-19. Now, this may sound strange coming from a person who knows herself to be a scientist. I trained to be a physician at my father's knee. I accompanied him frequently to the hospitals and the nursing homes. We had an office in our home where my father saw patients in the evening, and my mother managed his practice. I graduated medical school when I was only 23. <laughs> I am emphatically a scientist. I'm a board-certified emergency physician. Until I was fired from working in the hospitals, I was seeing patients, including I've seen many, many, many COVID-19 patients. So I'm very comfortable sharing with you my scientific knowledge regarding the experimental COVID-19 vaccines. By the way, people believe I'm sending a political message when I use the word experimental. That is not the case. I would like to use another word. I use the word experimental because the vaccines because that is a legal and scientific accurate word. All the vaccines are in investigational stages only. The trials will not be completed until October 27, 2022 for Moderna and January 31, 2023 for Pfizer. God bless you if you want to take an experimental vaccine, but you need to be informed it is experimental and it needs to be your choice. Second, the vaccine candidates are being dispensed under an emergency use authorization only. The only way they can be rolled out this quickly, prior to the normal years of slow and steady research and observation, was by calling it an emergency, and one of the components of being an emergency is that there is no other effective treatment. This is why safe, ordinary, cheap, generic, decades-old medicines like hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, and brudesonide are maligned and not approved even though there are now hundreds and hundreds of studies showing they work and thousands of physicians attesting to the fact that they work. Acknowledging these cheap, safe medicines work would derail the gravy train. The next, the, the next piece of interesting data to share with you is that the pharmaceutical companies do not even pretend to claim that the vaccine candidates prevent transmission of the virus. This is a fact repeated by Fauci in an interview with Newsweek a couple of weeks ago. The WHO has stated this, and on the FDA website right now it says, quote, the scientific community does not yet know if the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine will reduce transmission. In other words, we don't know if it works to stop the go between, between people. That is a fact, and you need to know that before you sign up for it. Fourth, the pharmaceutical companies do not claim that the vaccine candidates reduce hospitalization or death rates. In fact, the vaccine protocols did not even measure if the vaccines prevented serious disease or death. 
The vaccines were approved for emergency use based only upon less symptoms. The data on whether they reduce hospitalization or death will take months to years to be collected and published. Again, God bless you if you want to take an experimental vaccine. But right now, the verdict is still unknown if any of the experimental vaccines are going to personally help you. And as crazy as the words I'm saying sound, on a human level, I understand why people want to take the vaccines. I will share with you that my parents took the vaccine. It was not my decision, it is their decision. But it is stunning to me because the people who want to take the vaccine presumably are doing it because they think that they're going to be saved from death or they're going to be saved from hospitalization. But we don't yet know that that's the case. It was not the endpoint to call the trials effective. The endpoint was simply less symptoms. The fifth piece of data to share with you is that the vaccine candidates were called effective based upon extraordinarily tiny numbers of persons who got symptomatic in the placebo group versus the treatment group. Wait until I tell you how few numbers there are. Moderna, based upon 53 people. Pfizer, 32. Johnson & Johnson, 77. When you hear reports of thousands of people in the studies without getting too technical into the weeds, it's not exactly true. While thousands of people were enrolled and received either the placebo or medication shot, it was determined effective based upon the extraordinarily tiny number of persons who became symptomatic. You need to know that. The last piece of data is the newest we have discovered, and that is from the VAERS, which is a decade-old government database of adverse vaccine events. VAERS is the acronym for Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. It was set up in the mid-'80s. All potential adverse vaccine reactions are supposed to be reported here. It is the best early warning system that we have, although we already know from prior studies that less than 1% of adverse events are actually reported. Like other vaccines, COVID-19 reactions are posted here. What does VAERS have to say? As of about three days ago when I last checked, there have been 533 deaths temporarily associated with the experimental vaccines out of about 40 million dosages. Again, I am not saying that the vaccines are causing the death. I'm saying that in the best system we have is if a person has, it dies and they took the vaccine within a time frame close to that, a doctor who thinks it could possibly be related enters that information into the VAERS database. That process has happened 533 times since we started the COVID vaccines out of 40 million dosages. For comparison's sake, there have been 23 deaths associated in time with the influenza vaccines out of 150 million dosages. Correlation does not prove causation. This is not ironclad proof that the deaths are caused by the vaccines. But it is the best early warning we have and the COVID-19 experimental vaccines are 100 times more related to death than influenza vaccines. What is even more concerning is that no one is talking about this. Have anybody here heard of this? I cannot find this information published anywhere. The only people I know who are discussing this are a few scientists here or there who go into the VAERS database. Where, where are the scientists and where are the journalists? So just a quick recap of the six scientific facts regarding the COVID-19 vaccine candidates. They are experimental. They are currently approved under an emergency use authorization only. They have not been shown to reduce the transmission of the virus between persons. They are not shown to reduce hospitalization or death. A very tiny number of persons were in the studies to prove that it was effective, and effective was defined as less symptoms. And the sixth fact is the VAERS database, which is very concerning, with a high number of deaths for the number of vaccines given. Now, 
Because the scientific evidence in support of mass vaccination programs is so inadequate, I have become gravely concerned about the civil rights issues surrounding the COVID-19 vaccine candidates. I've mentioned that I am also an attorney. So let me explain the legal issues. Until 2020, no one would have ever thought to attempt to mandate a vaccine for a virus that is as trivial as SARS-CoV-2. Let me be clear because I do not want to be misquoted as I often am. <laughs> SARS-CoV-2 can be deadly in a very tiny number of persons, and we know who those persons are. If you are obese, diabetic, elderly, if you have severe heart disease, if you get SARS-CoV-2 and are untreated, you can die. Still, even in persons over 70, untreated, have a 95% chance of survival, and with early treatment, virtually no one will die. There is no legal precedent for mandating a treatment for something as universally non-lethal as this. Except now, due to being pummeled by experts into cowering in fear for a year, we suddenly find ourselves in a situation where being forced to take a medication against our will seems more likely every day, every hour. And by forced, let me be clear, it is being forced if a person is coerced or put under pressure. The definition of forced is not only if you are tied down with a gun to your head. This is not my opinion. The legal definition of being forced in terms of medical experimentation originated with the Nuremberg Code and is as follows. The voluntary consent of the human being is absolutely essential. This means that the person involved should have legal capacity to give consent, should be so situated as to be able to exercise a free power of choice without the intervention of any element of force, fraud, deceit, duress, overreaching, or other ulterior form of constraint or coercion. Being forced includes having your employment and paycheck threatened, and, and, and I would argue includes being blocked from participating in normal society. America's frontline doctors receives emails daily from persons telling us they have been fired, that they have been threatened to be fired, etc. That would be an example of being forced. When the majority decides that you must comply with the medication, the only thing that will save our society is our understanding of civil rights and human rights. This is the legal crisis we face. For many decades, it has been illegal and unethical to mandate or coerce any medical treatment. Virtually all countries, NGOs, non-government organizations, policy leaders, and physicians adhere to this principle, including the United States, the European Union, United Nations, and the World Health Organization. Quite simply, by international law, no person can ever be coerced to take an experimental treatment. And by United States law, no person can ever be forced to take any medical treatment if they don't want, even if it will save their own life. This is well established by the Supreme Court in many cases. A crass but very clear way to understand this, that it is well established in American law that everyone has a right to die. It is that simple. For example, if you need to take a simple pill once a week to save your own life, if that's all you would need to do, and it would be wholly irrational not to do so, it is your absolute 100% federally protected right to not do so. There has never been a public policy requirement that human beings must be vaccinated to participate in society. The closest we have come to this is the public school mandate to vaccinate. And until the past few years, in five states, parents could completely opt out. Even within this system, there has never been a mandate for adults. Adults can choose yes or no to comply with their physician's voluntary recommendation. And then, welcome to 2020. Not the virus, which is almost indistinguishable from other viral respiratory epidemics. Have you noticed a complete absence of influenza this year? <laughs> but 2020 brought such massive and worldwide fear-mongering that for the first time in human history, it appears we are heading toward forced mandatory vaccinations. CEOs are talking about this right now behind closed doors. United Airlines CEO has already stated publicly he wants this. Qantas Airlines has said the same. 
Ticketmaster, and the United Kingdom was forced to admit that they'd been discussing it as well. Now this is the, a little bit of an emotional part for me to say, because it pains me most of all to tell you this as a Jew, but the forced vaccinations are the worst in Israel. Israel is leading the world in this shameful crime against humanity. Two generations after the Holocaust, two generations after the Nuremberg trials, and Israel leads the world in forcing experimental vaccinations on its people. What do I mean by forced? Well, if you are a Jewish nation and you make a law that says you cannot go into a synagogue unless you've been vaccinated, that is forced. Don't tell me that's not forced. If you are Israel and you paid higher than market prices to obtain millions of dosages first, and then in exchange for getting the dosages first, you agree to supply Pfizer with data on safety and effectiveness, and then to get this data, you created an infrastructure that forces your citizens to comply. Then you plan to build a factory in Israel to supply the world with a vaccine that you hope to convince people, perhaps, that they need annually. But actually, it seems that no one really needs the virus, the vaccine, because the virus is trivial to almost everyone, and there are cheap, safe drugs that work. Then I say we are living in a world that is no longer listening to science, no longer cares about morality, and is indifferent to eternal truths. And may I, may, and may, and may I add that Israel, or some entity in Israel, just awarded Fauci a Truth to Power award of one million dollars. I just say this with so much sadness in my heart. As a person, I've been to Israel a dozen times. I've studied in Israel. The eternal truth is that every person is a sovereign, independent soul with free will. As a scientist, a physician, and an attorney, I am attesting to the fact that there is no public policy reason to violate human beings' free will in the setting of SARS-CoV-2. I say this as a moderate person who believes that there can be situations where individual rights should be abridged. Smallpox, perhaps, could fit that bill. And during the height of the Ebola virus crisis, a virus which is extraordinarily contagious and highly and swiftly and painfully lethal, that might have required abridging individual freedom. In fact, at that time, six years ago, I was working as an emergency physician at the very hospital that was designated as the receiving hospital for any potential Ebola patients who arrived at Los Angeles International. And I can assure you that I've thought about this issue of individual liberty versus group safety a great deal. Under no circumstances would SARS-CoV-2 meet the threshold of abridging individual sovereignty. Let me remind everybody of the numbers of lethality and non-lethality of SARS-CoV-2. If you are under age 20 and you catch SARS-CoV-2, your chances of survival with no treatment at all is 99.997%. If you are between 20 and 50 and you contract SARS-CoV-2 with no treatment at all, your chance of survival is 99.98%. If you're between 50 and 70 and you contract SARS-CoV-2 with no treatment at all, your chances of survival are 99.5%. And if you're over 70, the group that's most worried about this, and you contract SARS-CoV-2 with no treatment at all, your chances of survival are almost 95%. And you're saying we should give up our human liberty for this? This is why I am here, as I opened. Believing Christians are the only sizable force remaining on the planet that can stop this. I believe in science. 
I believe in science, but I urge you, with all of the initials listed after my name, and with all of the diplomas I've painstakingly earned, when a scientist tells you that science is in conflict with the truth according to God, tell the scientist to keep searching. True science has never and never will fail to accord with Torah. Beliefs considered irrefutable, except for the fact that they conflicted with the Bible, have always in the end given way. This has been proven over and over again. For example, centuries-old universally accepted practices of idolatry, human sacrifice, eugenics, and evolution have given way to monotheism, sanctity of human life, and the Big Bang Theory, which is as close to scientific proof of creation as science can ever deliver. So, when the science tells you does not accord with the Torah, as they are telling you now, tell the scientists to go back to the drawing board. And when the propagandists fill you with fear, tell them you reject their words. If, if you are the type of person who wants to know as much scientific truth as possible, watch the videos and read the papers found at americasfrontlinedoctors.com. You will learn that COVID-19 is a trivial virus in the scheme of human history. There is absolutely no reason to live in fear. And there is early and preventive treatment if you should want it. But as hard as we doctors have worked to bring you this information, doctors only play a supporting role. By, if you need to be informed, by all means, get informed. But whether you know one fact or a hundred regarding the coronavirus, your scientific understanding is ultimately irrelevant. Whether educated or ignorant, you know that God has mandated human beings are free, sovereign beings, and you must never comply with people who impose otherwise. Never. To those of you who complain it's difficult, and I must say, obviously nobody in this room, but <laughs> to those watching, if you complain or believe this is difficult, I want to remind you of the heroic Rabbi Akiva. He had an extraordinarily difficult life, including enduring the death of all 24,000 of his students due to an epidemic. In addition to this human tragedy, this represented his entire life work. And then while being tortured to death, his skin being flayed open by iron rods, Rabbi Akiva said he felt blessed. He said the Shema. He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. He explained that until the moment he was dying, he'd always wondered, would I really love God even if my soul were being taken from me? I at last have the opportunity to demonstrate this. I founded America's Frontline Doctors to create a way for ethical and honorable physicians to bring truth to the American people and people across the world. We fought the government to bring you the truth regarding early treatment, and we are now fighting to make sure that no person is coerced to take any medication. We need two things from you. One, we always need your support. Please become a monthly member. There are no other groups of physicians working to bring truth and hope to the American people. The first thing we did to create a way for human beings not to live in fear was to make hydroxychloroquine available for anyone who needs it. The science is unequivocal that preventive and early treatment works. It's absolutely safe. Every American home, in my opinion, should have a bottle of hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin right next to the vitamins in their medicine cabinet. So if you sign up at our website, you can get an appointment with a telemedicine physician, get the medications before you need them. I... I'd like to say, I'd like to say, because I was contacted by a reporter a couple of weeks ago who uh, more than insinuated, she flat out said that I was doing this for the money. Let me set the record straight. I advocated for three months to make hydroxychloroquine over the counter. I wanted this to be taken out of the hands of doctors. I knew that doctors were the problem. I knew that pharmacists were the problem. I wanted the average American to be able to walk into Walgreens and just buy it off the store like they do in other countries. I tried hard. I was at the White House several times. I met with everybody I could. I could not make that happen. So I did the next best thing, which is find doctors who understand it works, pharmacists who won't interfere with it. That's what I've done. So my answer to journalists who want to ask me if I've done this for money, I worked very hard to do this for free for people.
In addition to going to our website, americasfrontlinedoctors.com, you must sign the petition we've set up. It's at stopmedicaldiscrimination.org. This will help us in our fight to ensure no American will ever be coerced into taking an experimental medication. You must sign and share this petition. People ask all the time, what can I do? I'm just one person. This is what you can do. You sign it, you share it, and you share it aggressively. Let me tell you what we're going to do with this petition. We're over 600,000 now. We need, in my opinion, at least one million. This is going to be one of the tools we use to convince policymakers and private business owners that there's a lot of people that don't want them to go down this nasty road of mandating against our freedom. This helps you. You sign the petition, you help yourself. Sign and share. I just want to close by saying that you should never believe that you must follow tyrannical orders. You do not. I, the previous speaker who spoke of his business, I'm so proud. I, I love hearing stories like that. <laughs> love it. We need you to come to Los Angeles and get them inspired. We have tried so hard. <laughs> you do not need to close your business. You do not need to wear a mask. <laughs> You know, so, you know, there's there's so many there's so many things to talk about that I don't I I have to leave a lot of things out of every speech. But this group is so stoked about the mask issue that I'm just I just will say a couple of words about the mask issue. Okay, so here are some facts, because who I am is a person that's all about the facts. Okay, so does anybody in this room of brilliant, educated people know how big the SARS-CoV-2 virus is? What? 0.0125 what? Okay, we have like a winner in the house. <laughs> that's amazing. So the, the virus is infinitesimally small, 0.1 micron in size, which is one one-thousandth the size of a hair. Now, does anybody want to guess what the pore size is in the surgical mask? <laughs> it's, it's 200 to 1,000 times bigger. So it's kind of like throwing sand in a chain link fence. Right? <laughs> I just want to share with you that on America's Frontline Doctors, we have videos, and they're full of information like this. <laughs> like, so we have videos on the mask issue. My two favorite videos, don't tell my peers that I've, you know, I've cherry-picked the ones I like the best. But the two that I like the best are the one on mask and the one on fear. I think everyone needs to watch those videos. So, okay. But you always have a choice. You have to decide if the COVID-19 experimental vaccine is in your best interest. There's a white paper on the website that goes over it by ages, and you can decide. God forbid I'll be portrayed again as anti-vaccination. Let me state very clearly for the camera, I've been fully vaccinated. My children have been fully vaccinated. I am not anti-vaccine. I am very much against mandating human beings to comply with an experimental medication. <laughs> And in keeping, everyone has the choice to live as a free human being. In keeping with God's plan for me to be a free human being, I've turned my life upside down to speak the truth. And I'm so honored to stand with Pastor Jurgen and Leanne today. Come on, let's put our hands together. How good was that? Come on, we can do better than that. Come on, come on. What a courageous lady. Hallelujah. How many people are keen for us to have just a little bit of question and answer time? <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so Pastor Leanne and I, we're going to sit down with uh, Dr. Gold. 
and we're going to have uh, some question and answers. And uh, I want you to gra- grab a seat. And uh, if there's anything that that um, we don't cover, I want you to. Can you stand up, Sam? This is Pastor Samuel Duth. Yes. Maybe just find Samuel, and Samuel can uh, can help us. But I know that we've got some questions, and uh, so. All right, Dr. Gold, you choose, and then we'll, we will go from there. All right. How good was that? Can I just say thank you, and thank you for sharing your, your heart that came through. It was, yes. it was uh, the, the, the church has to be the house of truth. Yeah. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But what was so beautiful in your, your wonderful presentation was, um, you know, it says of Jesus that Jesus came with grace and truth. Yeah. And you could feel the love. You could feel the mercy. You could feel the kindness. You could feel the compassion. And, you know, I don't think you can be a great physician if you don't have that. So thank you for sharing the truth with mercy, with love, with yes. grace. So I know that Leanne has a has a question that we want to I ask do. to start I want to everything say, off. First of all, thank you, Dr. Gold. That was just amazing. And my mind is still processing everything you've said. I'm glad that we're recording here. And I want to thank you. You're a modern-day Esther, the way that you have stood yeah. and used your influence yeah. to save lives and bring truth to people. And... Uh, you know, you're a, you're a heroine, so thank you so much. And I wanted to ask this question because I know that you were in the capital, as were some of our pastors and team here on January 6th. And some things, uh, can you share with us what happened there on January 6th? First of all, I hate being wrong. So uh, my media team advised me not to go. Facebook, YouTube, but and I Twitter went. within hours. We really do have a medical issue, but we have a legal crisis. There's almost nothing that's been reported that's true. We are entrapped as a society in a spider web of fear. Guys, I think that's the wrong video. (laughs) We do have another video uh, of what happened. Do they have that one ready? No, they don't have that one ready. Okay, but so maybe let us know where we can get that one, where we can watch it. So we don't have that one? No? Okay, fine. So uh, I was invited. I'll just speak really quickly about the Capitol. I was invited to speak at the Capitol. I accept invitations to large audiences because I'm very silenced on social media. So, of course, I was there. There's about a million people there. Of course, I was going to accept that invitation. I was an invited speaker. When I arrived at the destination to speak, the, all the speakers were canceled. We still don't know why that happened. But it was a little bit strange in retrospect. At the time, I didn't think anything. And um, I was on the side of the Capitol that was completely peaceful. People were singing and, you know, back the blue, back the blue. Um, But I was physically there. Um, But I was there to give a speech, I can assure you. Of course, I'm nonviolent. There were, as you probably have heard, many, many hundreds of people were arrested for being there. And following that kind of purge, 100,000 conservatives were taken off of social media I was then arrested by the FBI. Can, can I ask you a question on that? Were you arrested there at the Capitol? Where did they arrest I, you? So I was, <laughs> I was arrested two weeks later um, in a very dramatic, movie-worthy moment with 20 wow. FBI agents oh. broken down my door, no. guns drawn. So 20 FBI agents, because obviously with your martial arts and violent background... <laughs> That must have been traumatizing. You know, I, I, you know what? It was, it was terrible. It was terrible. It was terrible. Yeah. Um, I was arrested. My communications director was also arrested. We were taken to jail, handcuffed, shackled, orange. I might be the only doctor lawyer who's been arrested by the FBI. <laughs> Possible. I don't know. It was not pleasant. Um, on the other hand, I, I weep really genuinely, really more for my country than for me. It's not possible that someone like me could be arrested by 20 FBI agents with guns drawn at, aimed at me, and this is the same country that you wanted to emigrate to. Wow, wow. I, I just can't even get over that. 20 FBI agents with their guns drawn. 
Broke down my door. Broke down the door. Medical doctor speaking the truth. Go to the Capitol to, to make a speech. And you're, you're deemed as a threat. So when I, I, you understand I'm speaking from my heart when I say that believing Christians are really the bulwark that is going to save our country or we're going to collapse as a country. Wow. Wow. You know, the, the more that we look at this, and especially when we saw the, the censorship that happened, it was, it was the, the war in 2020 wasn't just uh, the perpetrating of the lie around COVID. It, it was also a, a war of removing conservative voice. And, you know, there is a saying that for a, true, uh, for a lie to flourish, the truth has to be removed. And, uh, and so we can see that if you're a truth bearer, if you're a truth carrier, you're going to be persecuted. And, uh, you know, what, what, a, what a time that we live in. So, again, I just want to echo uh, my beautiful bride who says correctly, you are an Esther. Yeah. Thank you for being so bold. Yeah. Thank you for speaking up. Because in Esther's day, genocide was on the agenda again. That's right. And this bold young lady, beautiful young lady, a mother went before the authorities. Yes. So this cancel culture that you've been a victim of, how, how has that impacted you? Obviously, you, you lost your job as, as a practicing doctor at, I think, a, a Los Angeles emergency room. Yeah. You know, I, I, I want to encourage everybody that... Um, Really, everybody has to. Everybody should walk as close to the truth of who they are as possible. And all the time you spend not being as close to your true, authentic self is really just a waste because yes. your true, authentic self is going to come out no matter what. Good. So there were a lot of negative things that happened, but really, overwhelmingly, it's been positive. Wow! Right? Great. Because I'm speaking truth, right. <laughs> and I'm speaking unique truth. You know, one of the reasons I'm so passionate on this subject is I want everybody to understand. Like me, if somebody said to you, Tylenol does not help your headache, or water does not help you when you're thirsty, what would you say? You would say, you're crazy. I'm never going to believe you, and I'm not going to believe anybody at the door who tells me that. So that's my reality. And that was the reality I was in back before we started America's Frontline Doctors. My medical director was telling me, you cannot prescribe this medicine for human beings who need it. And I'm like, this is insane. This right. is insane. Yeah. So in many ways, my life has gotten better. But if you think that the cancel culture isn't real, I'm sure in this audience you understand it's real. But never did I think that scientists or doctors talking about medicine would be silenced. Wow. It's insane. I just I want to answer your question, though. Like I am so disturbed by this cancel culture because I saw this threat coming 10 to 15 years ago with the lack of free speech. So I yes. wrote a little book earlier this year when all this happened to me, and it's called I Do Not Consent, My Fight Against Medical Cancel Culture. I wrote it, one, people were curious about me, but I really wrote it because it teaches you in this very little book how to recognize propaganda in real time. You are now living in a time and you actually can't believe the overwhelming majority of what you hear. And we also are being pummeled with information all the time because of all the social media and 24-7 news cycle, right? So I literally teach people an acronym so they can recognize propaganda in real time. That's what you need, is to be able to recognize propaganda in real time. Oh, that's so awesome and so necessary for right now. Yeah, so necessary. So, uh, Dr. Gold, you were speaking a lot about the, the vaccine is still very much in the uh, experimental, experimental stages. Mm. There's, there is rumours, and we have a number of physicians, uh, you know, in our congregation who have raised uh, both questions and concerns around its effect, especially on fertility, because I, I think I saw that um, there was one warning that came out saying, hey, if you're going to take the vaccine, it might be best to get your eggs stored. Right. Is, uh, how much, how much? Can I stand up for answering this? Yes, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just because yeah. I get like very like passionate about it. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So I only speak in fact. So let me start at the beginning so you understand the science. Back, I think it was around August, there was a woman who was about five months pregnant 
who came down with COVID-19. And there was a case report on her situation. So she went into the hospital, she went into the ER, and she wasn't sick enough to be hospitalized, so she was sent home, because back then they said, oh, there's nothing you can do, another lie. So two days later, she comes back in, and she happened to get really, really sick, and she got admitted into the hospital. Ultimately, she survived, but of course, she ended up losing the pregnancy. So because she had COVID mid-pregnancy, lost the pregnancy, they did every study in the world you can think of to do. They, they autopsied and studied everything. So the only thing that was found to be abnormal was that the syncytiotrophoblast layer of the placenta, which is the layer closest to the mother's side, had been extraordinarily inflamed. This is important to me as a scientist because they actually didn't capture the SARS-CoV-2 virus there. They just got the inflammation. So what they think might have happened is that the woman had an autoimmune, overly aggressive response, which happens to some people. That's that whole cytokine storm thing. And the syncytiotrophoblast layer of the placenta got really inflamed, and the, pregnancy, and the placenta failed, so the pregnancy failed. Okay, what does this mean? The reason this is concerning is because these mRNA vaccines, we don't know if that effect on the syncytiotrophoblast layer of the placenta is going to be a permanent effect or not. What do I mean? If you get COVID and you're mid-pregnant, it's not good for the pregnancy. You can lose the pregnancy. And by the way, the answer to that is to be on hydroxychloroquine ahead of time, okay? So there's a solution. But if you were to get it, you could lose the pregnancy. But that's sad, but that's not permanent. You can go and get pregnant again and have a healthy pregnancy. If the syncytiotrophoblast inflammation is permanent, which they think it might be with the mRNA vaccine. You've traded a temporary kind of flu illness for lifelong infertility or difficult carrying a pregnancy. Now, I don't want to be misquoted. We just don't know. Right. How can you turn this around and give this to young women when you don't know? Right. Especially. Right. Yes. And let me remind you of the chances of surviving COVID-19, the chances of surviving an infection with SARS-CoV-2 if you're under 50, right? Remember the numbers? It was 99.98% per the CDC. How can you justify this? It's not known if it's safe during pregnancy or for young women. Wow. Oh, and, and, and I'm sorry, the news gets worse. This effect, <laughs> this effect on the syncytiotrophoblast is because it affects this hormone, syncytium-1, which also exists in sperm. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. So again, people can go on to the America's Frontline Doctors website and order hydroxychloroquine. So, so the number one question I was asked when all this happened was how can I get my hands on this stuff? And by right. the way, the number of congressmen and judges that called me, okay? I don't like the, I don't like the disparity. I don't like the fact that like the average Joe can't get it, but you know, if you're a king, you can get it. I didn't like that. So we set up on our website, you can consult with a telemedicine physician. Now, we ask you to be patient because the demand is overwhelming. Sure. <laughs> so if you have symptoms, you will be seen sooner. If you don't have symptoms and you want to prophylactically, which I encourage people to do, just be a little bit patient. You will be seen. Yes. So good. Thank you. We do have that video. Oh, good. Can this we is show my your FBI video? experience. There we go. Should we move out of the way? Oh, it's not ready yet. Oh, gosh. It's like a bad movie. All right. Okay, well, let, let, let me... I love it when we see it. Yeah, I think by the time... I mean, we're building expectation. Yes. Anticipation. So pumped. <laughs> Sorry. The atmosphere is palpable. Well, let, you know, you made a powerful statement and you saw because um, uh, you may, may... You probably wouldn't have picked this up from me. You probably seem as quite angelic, but, you know, so very rebellious. So not... Very, very few masks. We weren't meant to be open. We decided we were going to open without social distancing. We did a number of things. We got um, polarization units in the air conditioning. We have um, temperature checks that screen as, as uh, people come in. Everything is clean, for, you know, in between every service. But from all of our research, we, we had not seen, and because we have a, a much a younger congregation, we just didn't see the data to go to the place where we were going to keep church locked down, keep church shut down, have ridiculous social distancing and mandatory mask wearing, especially the research that we'd seen. I saw, um, I think it was might have been the head of the UK Medical Journal. She came out and she said that trying to stop 
uh, COVID with a mask was equivalent to trying to stop mosquitoes with a sheep gate. And uh, she was from Ireland, so, you know, so it makes sense there. And uh, so, so we had a number of uh, citations from the county health. Uh, they even um, had me in a two-hour meeting getting me to make all these guarantees and then went and kind of betrayed me straight to the media and did a hit piece on Awaken Church, which has only helped us because... That's right. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of like the, the best way to get the word out. Yeah. So I know that a lot of people here don't wear masks but are around people who are very, very fearful. Can you just maybe speak into that a little bit? Like what, what is one of the best ways that we can, because the truth sets people free, how can we help educate the people that we work with or maybe the people who are fearful to come into coffee shops and restaurants when there's no mass? I think the answer is you can't attack this problem head on. It's really an emotional question. People yeah. are wondering, you know, it's an existential question. Am I going to be okay? Am I going to be safe, right? So you actually can't really answer that question. The problem is that we put the mask as the proxy for that kind of existential question, which is why I don't really advocate hitting it head on. Now, what you, you can give people some facts, like you know, the mosquito at, at a chain link fence, you know, throwing sand at a chain link fence, you can do that. But what I try to do, if somebody's very, very anxious, I actually think they should be on hydroxychloroquine prophylactically. The dose is so low, it's once a week. And so if you have a genuine hyper-anxious person, it's easy and it's safe, and that would bring it down. But the problem is you'll discover it's not the facts that people need. Because when I offer this to people, nothing changes in their response to you. So I now take a different approach, which is your fear is your issue. I've got constitutional rights. So good. So good. Was that David Chittick that just stood up first up there? See this young man here with the hat on? His name is David Chittick. He owns a coffee shop and they've death threatened him, everything, and he stays open. He's one of the first, and he's kind of inspired a whole bunch of restaurants to stay Viral. open. We're proud of David Chittick. The coffee. coffee Co, best coffee in Escondido. So proud of you. Well, guess what? I think the video is ready to go. Let's try it on the third time. Let's watch the video. Roll the tape. What if you were a frontline doctor who tried to warn her country that we are all being lied to and that people don't have to die? What if you were censored and silenced, threatened and fired, but you refused to give up and you delivered the truth that we're all being lied to and people don't have to die? What if you were invited to the Capitol to speak to a million Americans and at the last moment you were silenced yet again? What if police then allowed thousands of people into the Capitol building and within that crowd, you stood firm and delivered your speech so that America would know we're all being lied to and people don't have to die. And then, what if a dozen FBI agents broke down your door, swarmed you with automatic rifles, handcuffed you, and without reading you your rights, threw you in a jail cell for four days without even a phone call? How then could you expose the lies? How then could you reclaim your rights? What would you do to save lives? Because we're all being lied to, and people don't have to die. Wow. Wow. People don't have to die. You're in jail for four days. Fortunate that I was not in jail for four days, but John Strand, who's right there, my communications director, he was in for three nights and four days. Wow, like Lazarus, but you came out alive. <laughs> come on, come on! <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow, I mean, how did this... How did this happen? Could you wager any guess as to why this, this lie has got global traction? What's that old expression that a lie goes halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to put its pants on? Oh, wow. I, mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I have to say on a serious note, you know, I'm so distressed about Israel, right? Because yes. Israel 
was founded on the ashes of the Holocaust. And they're pushing aggressively to do this experimental vaccine. And they're doing it, I think it's financial, right? Okay. They're building a, Pfizer's building a plant there. They're submitting all of their citizens' um, information as like kind of a large medical trial. I don't mind if people volunteer for that sort of thing. Israel's actually a very good laboratory for that because they've got like a very organized healthcare system. So I understand why Pfizer wanted to do it. What I don't understand is why Israel agreed. You know, I have friends who live in Israel and they are hounded regularly to get the vaccines. It's, it's, it's more than 75% of their people have had one shot already. So the problem is, which I didn't even have time to mention, I think you had asked me about pathogenic priming. So the big fear that America's frontline doctors has with the experimental COVID-19 vaccines is this thing called pathogenic priming. Also, its proper name is antibody-dependent enhancement, or ADE. I know those are really big science-y words, but what I really want to emphasize is that they're not fringe. This is a well-established scientific concept. It has its own Wikipedia page. Antibody-dependent enhancement. What is that? What it is, is if you get the vaccine, you do fine. You get the second dose, you do fine. Then if you're exposed to the virus naturally, the scientists say in the wild, you collapse from a severe sudden cytokine storm. Why are we at America's Frontline Doctors so concerned about this? Because prior coronavirus vaccine attempts all had this problem. SARS-CoV-1 was an epidemic in 2002. They started working on a vaccine. I think around 2005, they, they developed a vaccine. They gave it to cats. They gave the vaccine, they did fine. Later they exposed, I think it was cats, it might have been ferrets, to the virus in the wild, they died. This is why SARS-CoV-1, which is 78% identical to SARS-CoV-2, the vaccine was never released because of this antibody-dependent enhancement. Similar viruses to, similar, to similar, viruses similar to coronavirus, such as dengue fever, had this exact same problem. MERS, they also couldn't develop it. This is a known problem with, ins, with inspiratory, respiratory mRNA, oh, I'm sorry, RNA viruses. So this is why we're concerned. Again, I'm misquoted a lot. I hope the vaccine works. I hope it's safe and effective. But this question of antibody-dependent enhancement or pathogenic priming has not been ruled out. I don't think I explained what it is exactly. Instead of the body getting what we call neutralizing antibodies in response to the vaccine, instead of those good neutralizing ones, the body makes something different called binding antibodies. And those binding antibodies kind of invite the virus in and you get very sick very quickly. My other big concern about this as a scientist is it's very, very difficult, it's going to be very difficult for scientists to know if this is from the vi vaccine or not. And I'm really concerned that the deaths that we're seeing in VAERS are actually that. I, I don't know that it's that. Again, I don't want to be misquoted. What I'm saying is it's very difficult. It looks very similar. So we, we, in other words, we have to do the vaccine as we've done it in the past. We have to wait, we have to have trials, we have to have small numbers of people, we have to have people studied and observed and the number's good and you take a bunch of years and you, and you come to a conclusion. And in the meanwhile, you've got safe and effective medicines. Yes, wow, wow. Yeah. Dr. Gold, I have heard, and it could be a conspiracy theory, so you can debunk it here if it is, that the vaccine changes your DNA. Is that, is that truth? So I'm asked that a lot, okay? I don't have an answer for you because I only investigate the things that really I can understand, and that is so beyond my understanding. So <laughs> I, I have heard people say that. I have not read anything that proves that to me, but I will say that I've seen so much fraud in the scientific arena this year that almost nothing would surprise me. Wow, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Just, just so that you know, what we're gonna do to finish uh, shortly is we are actually gonna have um, the altars open and our uh, prayer team praying for anybody that is maybe uh, fearful or ang ang anxious, uh, that maybe is stressed or distressed, especially because uh, it's been very evident. I think, you know, anybody that, that loves the truth has felt in their spirit an unsettledness, like, ah, oh, man, I just don't feel like everything we're being told is the truth. So even on that, uh, Dr. Gold, um, we, we keep hearing, and I keep hearing again and again from both uh, medical folks in our congregation and then as I travel, as well as from uh, people who have lost loved ones who said that you know, their loved one died of cancer or just one a few days ago had, had a heart attack 
but on the death certificate it says COVID, right. which is adding or inflating the numbers. And then I know that there was a, a, a report that came out on the CDC website that said it's probably only 6% of the actual deaths uh, due to COVID, the other 94%, these people died with COVID or of other things. Is that true? I think the, again, to be super accurate, I think the answer is tricky and complicated. It depends the way you think of it. The, I think the cleanest way to think of SARS-CoV-2, which is the virus that could go on, progress to COVID-19, is it's a trivial illness unless you're already very frail. So that's the best way to understand it. It is true that only 6% of people, 6% of the deaths were in people who didn't have multiple comorbid conditions. I saw this all the time as an ER physician. Who did badly? You'd have an obese diabetic who is like a dialysis patient. That person was going to do badly. The other group of people that did terribly were nursing home patients. I mean, I was watching this before this became political, before I jumped into it, I was watching every day the coronavirus task force meetings. And, and what they did with the nursing homes was, was horrific. They were, it, I, don't, I can't even discuss it. The, the executioner in chief is Cuomo. I mean, he just like is an executioner. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yes. and, and how, you know, I have to say like how the FBI comes in and takes me down and, and that he's not like locked away with no key, no key. Yeah, yeah. Um, but to, I, I want to answer your fear question. I know people are afraid. It took me a long time to realize just how afraid people were. I now have a lot more respect for it, which is why the best video on our website is the fear video. It's done by a psychiatrist. It's phenomenal. The antidote to fear, all right, is taking the steps you can take and then letting it go. It's faith, it's, it's, it's being smart and then having faith. So how can you be smart if you're really afraid, but more importantly, if you're really in a high risk category, take this pill once a week and be done with it. And then you have to have faith and let go. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.